0: Over the past few weeks, uh, we have been talking about pilgrimage. What is that longing that propels us to go? What is the call to embark on a pilgrimage and the different forms a call may take, a compelling dream or a frightening incident? What wakes us up, like a shoe hitting us on the back of the head, as Jen talked about last week? square in the back of the head that wakes us up and says you are on a pilgrimage but there's one question we've neglected and it's the most basic of all what's the difference between a pilgrimage and just going on a trip really what's the difference what's the difference between just taking a walk on a tree-lined path and seeing the trees turn their own bodies into pillars of light? What transforms a walk around the pond to a pilgrimage around every pond, named and unnamed? What changes? The quick and dirty answer is you. You. You change. Your posture, your perspective, your way of seeing and being with the world changes when you travel as a pilgrim. Writer and philosopher Phil Kuzno calls it a move from mindless to mindful, soulless to soulful travel. And as I've thought about this, I've come to realize that pilgrimage means your expectation changes pilgrimage means you are expecting to be taught you expect to be taught by everything and every occasion and every one you encounter that crush of humanity jostling you around as you try to get on a train to Morocco or the light rail to downtown Minneapolis loses its quality of freneticism and irritation and becomes an opportunity to learn. You begin to see the divine energy everywhere, as David Thoreau once put it. The world is speaking The world is teaching. It is in pilgrimage that we open our hearts to the lessons. We mobilize our imagination to actually hear, to actually learn. On pilgrimage, we meet the world and we meet ourselves. It's an outward journey and an inward journey all at the same time. So how do we make this change? How do we shift our focus? How do we attune our hearts and develop an expectation of being taught? And how about if you don't have any money to go to Paris? How about if you don't have enough money to go to where your grandfather was born? Can you still be a pilgrim? How do you go on a pilgrimage rather than simply taking a trip? In his book, The Art of Pilgrimage, Phil Kuzno lists five practices inspired by a fifth-century conversation between Zhejiang and Confucius that engender a shift from traveler to pilgrim. And here they are. Practice the arts of attention and listening. Practice renewing yourself every day. Practicing meandering toward the center of every place. Practice the ritual of reading sacred text. Practice gratitude and praise singing. I've come to realize that most of my pilgrimage, in the more formal sense of the word, actually going somewhere out there in order to go somewhere in here, have happened when hiking someplace. I was born and raised in Colorado and much of my youth was spent hiking to one mountain lake or one mountain ridge or a meadow or what have you. My family hiked. We hiked. (laughs) Hiking is often the way in which I come to know a place more deeply. I hike to know myself and that place comes to know me as well. Parker Palmer calls this kind of meeting a prayerful education, a prayerful education. And that's what happens on a pilgrimage. You submit yourself to being taught. Palmer says, prayer means opening myself to the fact that as I reach for the connecting center, the center is reaching for me. As I move toward the heart of reality, reality is moving toward my heart. As I recollect the unity of life, life is recollecting me in my original wholeness. So exactly seven years ago, to this day, I couldn't believe it. Seven years ago, to this day, I was on a hike. Yes, I was on a hike on August 11th, 2006, and I took the hike of a lifetime. I had the privilege of time and money to visit the island of Kauai and hike the New Alolo Loop along the Nepali coast. My partner Rebecca and I had read that it was considered one of the most spectacular hikes in the world. Very arduous, about 13 miles, round trip, but doable in a day. And we had studied the sacred texts of maps (laughs) and trail descriptions and read up on the history of this place. And I remember saying something like, look, we're not getting any younger. (laughs) In a couple of years, I don't think I can even do this trip anymore. So if we have to turn back, we have to turn back. But I think we ought to try. So we started out on this misty day seven years ago and and there was well there just is something that happens to me when I hike. I'm not much of a talker when I'm walking. I don't ooh and ah at all the beautiful scenery. Instead I just start having this stillness settle within me and I hear the rhythm of my feet I sense the rhythm of my breath and I come into a way of paying attention to myself, the path, and the speaking world around me. Now the dew had turned that red clay path into red ice and made our journey slow and in fact quite hilarious as we took one pratfall after the next. Whoa! Our boots had turned into these big red muffins as we walked along. And we would laugh. We laughed and we got back up and kept moving and we just were covered in mud. And it was an arduous climb. Up and down and we, we took many breaks along the way sitting quietly looking out at rock croppings or studying the sacred text of the map. And at one point we came into this clearing of shimmering light. And the trees had turned their bodies into pillars of light as we approached from the darkness of the rainforest. And I felt as if I was walking into heaven. I mean it. I thought, this must be what heaven looks like. And then the most angelic song wafted along the breeze. Our eye caught the melodious laughing thrush. That's what it's actually called, the melodious laughing thrush, a bird that is rarely seen but often heard. And we saw it. We saw it on that day. And we tried to sing and whistle back to that angel in the form of a bird, and tried to imprint her song on our hearts. We we laughed at our sad attempts because the, the song is really complex and continued on very very grateful for our first lesson on the trail how to sing a praise song and several hours later we were coming to the lookout and walked along a red spine of earth and breathless to see the center of this place and finally we came upon infinity or that's what what it looked like to me. It looked like infinity. These great green cliffs just thrusting out and down thousands of feet into a turquoise sea below, one after another, adorned by ribbons of waterfalls and swiftly moving streams, and all of it echoing back and back and back and back and back as far as the eye could see. Louis Pasteur wrote that pilgrimage is to see everywhere in the world the inevitable expression of the concept of infinity. That's what we saw that day. We were looking into infinity. I had just completed one year of seminary as part as a part-time student at that point. I was, had completed one year of seminary, and I was trying to write a play about my family history at the same time, and the toll that antiquated adoption practices had had on my dad and his sisters and uncovering secrets after secrets after secrets, secrets everywhere. And I was lost. I was lost. I was lost in my work. I was lost in spirit. I wasn't quite sure what I was doing at a seminary, for crying out loud. Nothing made sense to me. And I would love to say that that beautiful scene of infinity is what spoke to me that day and gave me comfort, but it was not the center of the pilgrimage. We needed to meander further. And it was on the next leg of the journey that I found the center, the center of the journey, the place that rattled my cage and has been a touchstone for faith and this. Spirit of tenacity I seemed to have. It reminded me of my tenacity. So on our way back, Rebecca and I came to this very treacherous crossing. You had to cross around the side of a cliff, and the trail narrowed to, I kid you not, a one-foot pathway like that. And the mountain fell away just below the trail. I mean, thousands of feet into the ocean. And the sign says, cross at your own risk. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) And we're like, oh, yeah. And as we scoped out the trail, we noticed the couple ahead of us. And there was a woman. She is standing smack dab in the middle of the path. And she is hugging the cliff face. She's shifting back and forth. And she was sobbing, just sobbing, afraid to go forward, afraid to go back. And we waited. We had to wait. It was the only thing we could do. There was no room to be of assistance. So we watched as the man maneuvered the trail, retrieved his partner's backpack that she had tossed towards him, and then he went back, coaxing his wife, little by little, to hold on to the cliff face, hold on to him, and just shuffle, shuffle her way to the other side. Rebecca and I looked at one another and we goes, can we do this? I don't know if we can do this. And I don't know how we agreed to go ahead, but we did. We agreed to go ahead and try. And so we held it tightly to this crumbling rock face as we shimmied along the trail, barely looking down, slowly and simply putting one foot beside the other as we traversed a quarter mile of terror. And I remember whispering to myself, God help me, and I meant it. And at one point, Rebecca tried to hold my hand, you know, like this, as we were crossing. She went like that. I was like, don't touch me. (laughs) I can't do it that way. I got to have my own balance. So we just kept going and going. We made it. We made it to the other side, and we just fell into embrace. We made it. And back at our cottage, I scratched a few things in my journal. I was too tired to do much thinking or anything else, for that matter. But I wrote something about the narrow path. The narrow path. And the teaching world came rushing back to me as I wrote this sermon today. That teaching narrow path. I'm not brave. I'm absolutely not brave. My faith falters all the time. I'm not particularly strong, nor am I calm. (laughs) I worry a lot, as staff members will attest. But there is one thing that I have done again and again in the course of my 50-some-odd years on this earth. I've summoned a tenacious spirit. I know how to summon my spirit and simply and slowly put one foot beside the other, finding my own version of balance, as ungraceful as it looks. Praying to God that I sometimes trust, or that movement of good and grace that I sense, but I don't really understand. And I make crossings. I make crossings. And the world taught in vivid form that day, I can. That's what it taught me. I can every element of the five practices of pilgrimage were sown into that day seven years ago. The art of listening, the practice of renewal, meandering toward the center, reading the sacred texts, practicing gratitude. This is how we move from mindless to mindfulness, from soulless to soulful travel. Mary Oliver speaks of another way in her poem in Blackwater Woods, a very direct and potent way to make this shift from being a traveler to a pilgrim. She asks us to practice an old Latin saying Memento mori, remember you are dying. In fact, When I thought about it, that is why Rebecca and I took the hike seven years ago. We decided to walk it before we couldn't walk it. We took the New Alolo Trail because we remembered our own death. Oliver writes this, Every year, everything I have ever learned in this, my lifetime, leads back to this. To live in this world You must be able to do three things. To love what is mortal. To hold it against your bones knowing your own life depends on it. And when the time comes, to let it go. To let it go. To live in the world. To fully meet this speaking, teaching world and all it has to offer. You begin by loving it love it. You love what is mortal, all the things around you that are living and dying all at the same time. You must bring this living, dying world to your very core to hold it against your bones because this is the only way to enter a prayerful education. And indeed your life depends on it. And then you let it go you let it go you trust the path whatever is laid out before you and you let it go the journey down the narrow path the journey from Los Angeles to Minnesota to make a new life the journey to Switzerland to study the journey to becoming an anti-racist racially just faith community the journey with a debilitating illness the journey to marriage the journey that is our final journey. May we all walk a pilgrimage in this life, expecting to be taught. May we live a prayerful education, loving what is mortal, holding it to our bones, and then when the time is right, summoning our faith and letting it go letting it go may it be so and amen